All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today is just me. Uh, I'm going to be talking all about my 2021 season, recapping a lot of different things that happened. And um, hopefully I learn from some mistakes and figure out exactly what I need to do next year to give myself more opportunities at whatever game it is that I'm chasing after. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I think it's going to be a good time. It might be a little bit different because it's just going to be me talking over and over and over and not actually having any dialogue like between someone else. So either way, hopefully you enjoy this. We're going to take a look at 2021 right now. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. I am, man, I'm kind of excited about this podcast, but also kind of like, do I really want to relive everything that went wrong in 2021 or the missed opportunities, things like that? But we are going to do that. I think it's going to be good. And hopefully I can learn something from it. And hopefully you guys can as well. So why don't we just jump right in? Uh, my, my year started out pretty good, actually. Normally, the first part of the year, it's like coyote hunting, jumping into turkey hunting, back to coyote hunting, food prep or food plot prep, uh, deer management, checking trail cameras, all of that stuff. Well, I started going out turkey hunting, or sorry, I started going out coyote hunting, uh, had a little bit of success there, helped a couple people, uh, helped a buddy shoot one, um, got one myself, saw a bunch, started kind of pushing them off the property. I mean, I didn't see as much pressure, didn't have as many coyotes around on trail camera, and started getting a ton more deer on camera. And so I was like, all right, sweet. We had a couple that were here almost all the time. Every time I would be out, I would see them. And once they were gone, it seemed like the deer felt a lot more comfortable. And it could just be like the shifting seasons and different parts of the year where deer just come in and use the area a little bit more anyways. But I think that coyote cleanup can help a lot, especially in the spring uh, when the fawns are dropping or in the summer, depending on when they drop where you're at. And then also uh, right before season. I mean, if you can take out some coyotes right before deer season starts or the rut starts maybe a month before, hopefully no new coyotes can move in and the does that come into heat will stick around. They won't be getting pushed around or pressured by coyotes. And so there's been a couple things that I've, ideas that I've bounced back and forth on with shooting coyotes. I've heard multiple people say, if you clean up some coyotes, more coyotes are going to move in. It could potentially trigger higher, or a higher reproductive rate with them um, if there's less howls at night. And I've seen a lot of things for myself that kind of line up with that. Um, but yeah, if, if you shoot a coyote that's a resident coyote, they say you might have a window of time where a new one doesn't necessarily move in. So you might have low predation on the species that you're going after during that time period, which is why a lot of people focus when the fawns are dropping on taking out coyotes so that the uh, mortality rate goes down on the fawns in your area or on your chunk of land. So all that said, I took out a couple. It seemed pretty good. 
then later in the fall, I had been seeing coyotes like crazy. I tried to hunt them, could never connect with one. And that made me kind of lose my mind. I'm like, dude, I see coyotes every time I come deer hunting. And then as soon as I come out and blow a call and actually try to shoot a coyote, or if I am deer hunting with my bow, I started to actually bring a coyote call with. And so I would do like a rabbit distress, try to get the coyotes to come in while I'm deer hunting, just because I didn't want them milling around, hunting rabbits out in the field in front of me or in the woods right behind me. Like I'd rather just shoot them, get it over with, and then let the woods go back to normal, settle back down, and maybe some deer would come back in. And it nothing seemed to work. So I don't know if I need to start looking at trapping. I do want to get into trapping, but the property that I mainly hunt uh, is the largest area that I hunt, and it's the farthest away, unfortunately. So getting into trapping might be kind of difficult because here in Missouri, you do have to check your traps every 24 hours, not to mention, I just feel like that is the ethical thing to do. You know, get out there, make sure it's not freezing to death or suffering more than it has to, whatever it is that you're trapping. So maybe that's the solution for the future. I don't know. Anyways, had a couple successful hunts, had a really bad freeze. I haven't found any signs of dead dead deer out there at all. Um, normally, I'll find a skull every now and then. I'll find a carcass that's been picked clean. But this year, I really didn't notice any incidental mortality uh, on the property that I mainly hunt. So that led us into turkey season. Turkey season was a blast. It normally is. It's not my number one go-to hunting um, species to hunt, but it's something that fills time in the off-season from waterfowl, big game, whitetail, coyote, all that stuff. It just kind of breaks it up for me, and so I have kind of enjoyed it. But me and my buddy Drew, we got out. We went hunting Man, we've been hunting together for a couple of years now, and we sat in one spot, heard tons of gobbles. It seems like every season I hear so many gobbles. Like, I know there's turkeys around, but whether or not we connect with them is a different story. I've had a lot of success each year that I've hunted. Um, I've had quite a few turkeys that I've killed, and I know that's not completely common. But anyways, he and I went out. We ended up doubling up. It was pretty sweet. I've had a lot of unconventional or non-traditional turkey hunts and anyways this year we were able to double up we put a stock on these turkeys that actually came into our decoy we had just taken a short walk um, and checked some other areas out and then we came back and these toms were just sprinting right towards our decoy there were three of them if I recall right and then he and I we had to get behind our turkey fan which the turkey fan that I use, it's actually called the turkey fan, and it's an umbrella with a turkey print on the front of it. And you can have a spot for, or there's a spot for a GoPro um, to mount in there so you can record. There's a spot for you to potentially stick a gun barrel through, although I just rested on top. Um, there's a little window with Velcro on it so that you can look through it while staying concealed behind it. And so he and I, we probably had to walk like, 250 to 300 yards to get to these birds uh some of it we were able to like jog across because it was a really low spot where we knew the birds couldn't see us but then we actually had to belly crawl behind this turkey fan get up to a fence cross through the fence with the turkey fan kind of blocking 
the bird's view of us, and then we made it to inside of 20 yards from these turkeys and doubled up, um, shot two of them. His was, I think, either seven or nine pounds lighter than mine. Mine weighed, it, it was the heaviest bird I have ever picked up. I mean, I it was so heavy that I thought it might be a state record, so I started looking into stuff. Come to find out I was a couple pounds shy, but I did find out that the year before, Drew and I had each shot a turkey. It wasn't on the same day. We didn't double up like we did this year, but we had each shot a turkey last year that would have broke the state record for Missouri for beard length, but we just didn't even know to look. So um, that was basically my whole turkey season. I tried to get out and connect with another one. Didn't, didn't happen. I wasn't able to make that work, but there are so many birds out there and they stick around most of the year. Um, in the fall, I've always struggled I haven't really gone out after one, but I always sit with my bow during deer season thinking, hey, a turkey might come through and I'll get a crack at it. I've drawn back on one or two, but they just either weren't in range or didn't present a clear shot uh, for me to harvest them. So anyways, that was, I guess, turkey turkey season all wrapped up. Wasn't super exciting, but we had one really good morning and... Uh, it made it worth it for sure. I do have some new properties also that I'm going to try to turkey hunt this next year. There's been a lot of places that I've been seeing birds or heard about birds being seen out there that I can go and hunt. And so hopefully that happens. I also bought a new ground blind that I'm hoping to put to use either for turkey, coyotes, deer, something here um, coming up. I know I only have like, I've got nine days left of uh, archery season for white-tailed deer so who knows maybe I'll break it out for that but it's one of those blinds that you can see out three sides of it's like a 270 blind is what it what they call it so three walls you can actually see through the window panels on them so you don't actually have to even drop them in order to be in order to see what's going on on the outside I've sat in it once um just to check it out not like in a hunting situation but i have heard that when the rain comes down it potentially makes it harder for you to see out like the it it beads down and it's like trying to look through a windshield without using your windshield wipers so we'll see about that because we do get quite a bit of rain here in the spring so maybe it doesn't end up being ideal but either way you can still pull those windows down and use it like a traditional blind um so yeah, that's kind of my hope for this year. Hopefully I can try some new tactics with turkey. Uh, moving on from there, we did some fishing, not a ton. Normally we float a ton during the summer. We hardly did any of that either. I mean, it all around, I would say my 2021 season has just been kind of a slow and uneventful season. Although I've traveled, I've hunted, I've got to experience a lot of cool things it just didn't seem to come together. And I don't know if that's because I'm getting like lazy. If I'm, if I'm getting sloppy with the way I pursue animals, there could be a number of things, or it could just be that it didn't pan out, which I know people go through slumps and I feel like that is what I'm in right now. So, um, after Turkey season, a little bit more coyote hunting, some fishing out at the pond, not a ton, but you know, just, Go get the line wet every now and then, catch some bass. Didn't catch any huge ones, didn't have any days where it was like on fire. 
And my buddy Jackson, who's been on the show before, he invited me out. Well, he said he was going to invite me out to do some walleye and striper fishing. And he was hammering them at one point, like sending me pictures of full, like his tailgate lined side to side with fish, but wasn't able to do that either. Again, a lot of disappointments this year. So from there, we jump into late June and frog gigging season. Now, frogs are typically like the surefire way to go out and get a limit of something, have a good time, hang out with your friends. This year, we struggled. Normally, it's like, I'm telling you, we could go out two to three nights in a row and get limits of frogs every single night. This year, I don't think we had a single night where we where we got our limits. And so... They were still tasty, still a lot of fun, good fellowship, good camaraderie. Like, how can it be good when you're walking through cottonmouth infested, like, cesspools from cows? I mean, like, just crap farm ponds that reek, and you might be nipple deep in these things chasing after frogs, and it's a ton of fun. But most people would be like, dude, that is so gross. And then you eat the animals you catch out of there. But they're great. Everyone, everyone I talk to, I'm like, guys, I'm telling you, I thought it was a hoax at first, too. The first time I went frog gigging, my buddy was like, all right, now we're going to cook them up and eat them. And I thought, okay, sure. He's going to kick it up, offer it to me. I'm going to take a bite. He's going to laugh at me. No, he for real cooked him up and he started digging in right away. He's like, dude, don't wait, man. They're going to be gone. I was like, oh, man, we're for real doing this. This is actually this is actually a meal. Like, people eat this. So I did. I fell in love with it. I love the taste of frog legs, and we turn it into a big tradition every year to go out opening morning or opening night into the morning um, and then also to go out right before the 4th of July so that we have more for our annual party. So that was frog gigging. Starting to move into the summer, late summer, um, I got to go to, or not Wisconsin, I almost said Wisconsin, I got to go up to Alaska again, to Kodiak Island, and it was amazing. I went with my good buddy David and his son Jonathan. Uh, We had so much planned. We get up to Alaska, and we get to the Anchorage Airport. We're hanging out there, and then they come over the line and they're like, Hey, we've got a, we've got a delay because of fog. So we're like, okay, no big deal. So we wait, there's still a delay. Finally, they board us. We get on the plane and then they tell us to get back off of the plane. And so we hop off and we we're just kind of hanging out, um, at the airport. They're like, we're going to wait till the fog clears and then you can get back on. So then we get back on the plane again Fly to Kodiak Island, get like, I'm talking yards, maybe like 50 feet to, I I don't know. It's hard to tell when you're landing as I'm not a pilot and it was foggy, but we got down to the point where it was like, oh, we're going to land. And then they pulled up and they're like, sorry, we're going to make a couple passes and see if the fog clears. We can't see the runway. We might have to turn back. So we made it like right above the runway. They circled a couple times turned around, sent us back. We're like, you got to be kidding me. So we get back. They're like, hey, we're going to reschedule the flights for later today, tomorrow, and the next day. So we get our flight assignments. Mine was for later that day. 
Um, initially, David and his sons were for the next day. But we talked to the person. They ended up getting them on an earlier flight in the day. So they fly out. They land. Everything's good. Super pumped. I fly out. Get close to the runway. They can't see it because of fog again. Turn me back. And I'm just like, dude, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, this is going to drive me crazy. So now I've spent a full extra day in the airport. They had already booked a fishing charter for halibut, salmon, uh, lingcod, rockfish, all kinds of different fish that we were planning on catching. So that whole next day, they were going to go out and fish. And I'm like, all right, hopefully I can get on the evening flight. I wasn't able to. I had to fly out the next morning. So fly out the next morning. Luckily, I make it in. Actually, I think my flight kept getting delayed. That's right. It kept getting delayed. And then finally, I made it in. But it was like, by that point, they were done fishing for the day. So I missed an entire day of fishing. We hang out for a little bit, go and do a kayak tour, which was awesome. We got to see some like puffins, I think they were called. Man, this was, it seems so long ago. It seems like two years ago that we did this and it was only five, six months ago. Um, so we did a kayak tour, got to see seals and sea lions and otters and puffins and um, porpoises and didn't see any whales when we were out there, but it was just cool to, to cruise around, got to see an awesome bald eagle perched up on this rock right where we put in the kayaks and, and just got to cruise around, and it was a ton of fun. Then after that, we had another day planned where we could go out fishing, which was amazing. I mean, we were catching loads of fish, and this couple, they they were scheduled to go on the... I don't know if it was a couple or a family or what. I think we were supposed to have like six people on the boat total. And they they called the guide and they were like, hey, man, got a, we've got a request. We would like it if everybody could show us their vaccine card before we get on the boat to go to go fishing. And he's like, no, no, I don't require I don't require people to show a vaccine card in order to go fishing. That is completely up to them if they want to, but I will not require it. And I don't know if he told them, like, I don't feel comfortable even showing you. Like, there's no reason that one private citizen should be asking another private citizen for proof that they've been vaccinated. That's medical information. That's confidential. Whatever the conversation was with them, these people ended up packing out. So we actually had the whole boat to ourselves, which was kind of nice. So we get out there and right away, we start catching salmon. I mean, like four different types of salmon fresh out of the ocean. It was awesome. We ended up catching halibut, lingcod, rockfish, yellow eye. I caught a giant yellow eye. It was crazy and super good to eat. I found out new parts of the fish that you can eat. Like they call it yellow eye collar. And so it's literally, if you think about the collar or the throat of the animal, like it's right around that underneath the gills. Um, so we, we cooked some of that up one night. We just had fresh fish and berries and all sorts of good food the whole time that we were up there. And man, I, I just love Kodiak. It, it's an amazing place. Oh, so then after that, man, there's so many details just from this trip. And I still regret not making a follow-up podcast about it, but 
this might turn into a mainly Kodiak, um, <laughs> Kodiak story anyways. So we get up to, sorry, we get up one of the next mornings, we've got a flight and our flight is to go on a float plane bear viewing tour. So we get in, we, we get in the van, a shuttle came and picked us up. We get in the shuttle van, we drive to the airport and it's nothing but fog. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. This fog is killing us. So we hang out and it's like an hour and then two hours in the fog would clear for like 10 minutes, which wasn't enough to get us all loaded and take off. And then it would roll back in. So anyways, we had to delay that for several hours that morning. Finally, we took off and we started flying around Kodiak Island in this float plane. And it was the coolest thing ever. It was the three of us, the pilot, and then another couple that sat in the very back. And so we all had our headsets on, got to hear what the pilot was saying, telling us about all the different information on Kodiak, um, talking about volcanic ash that makes the black color underneath the, the lakes. Um, just, just so much cool information talking about each of the bays and each of the mountains and how high they are and, um, the, the animal, the wildlife history, when, when they started discovering certain types of animals, there, finding out that there's not actually caribou on Kodiak, but there's a herd of reindeer that were introduced there. Um, finding out that there's no wolves or black bear or moose on Kodiak, although some have swam across. I think the grizzlies, they they still, as of this past year, have had um, like counts or reports of seeing a grizzly swim across from mainland Alaska to Kodiak Island, which seems crazy to me. I mean, it's like in the double digits for miles for them to get from there to Kodiak and the fact that they'll just like take off time to go swim. All right, let's swim over there. And then they'll, you know, potentially live there for the rest of their lives and have, have offspring. So anyways, we get in the, we're, we're flying around in the plane and we get near this mountaintop and all of a sudden the mountaintop just starts moving and it is loaded with mountain goats. I mean, everywhere, like, dozens and dozens of mountain goats i'll have to put this the video of them up on my on my instagram and my tiktok so you guys can check out the video in fact i'll probably start posting a lot more pictures and like recaps information um from my adventures so anyways see mountain goats all over the place climbing up and down running around and all throughout the flight we saw like maybe here and there we'd think we saw a grizzly bear or we definitely see black-tailed deer like way up on the top of some of these mountains and in the, the saddles in between peaks. Um, and then we get back to this spot, and he's like, all right, the lake is right through here. So we drop way down, fly through this valley uh, over another lake, and then we bank hard right. And as soon as we do, we can see bears in the river, uh, along the lake edges, all over the place. And we circle the lake that we're going to land in. And as we do, I mean, there's like two bears out the right window, one bear out the left. You get a little farther down, there's more bears out, out the right window, more to the left. And we land. And as soon as we land, we get out of the plane and we look over. And at a couple hundred yards, there's a grizzly just walking around, walking around on the bank. And so he keeps talking about all the history, all the bears that they see day after day there. 
and we start walking down to this fish weir or like a fish ladder. Basically what it is, it's an enclosed spot at part of the river that leads up to the final lake where they actually um, will, will lay their eggs and finish their cycle of spawning. And so they build this fish weir. Imagine a giant fence that cuts the river off from a chunk of waterfalls. And then there is a box with running water, uh, like a long box tube type of deal with running water that comes down. And these fish will actually swim up that, but it's enclosed so that the bears can't eat them while they're swimming up that part. Anyways, where the lake dumps into the river, it's a steep waterfall that the fish can't actually get up. And so they built this and they do population studies on it. So we get down or we're walking down towards that. There's a research center, like a little outhouse there. There's people that live there and study everything. They see the same bears all the time. And as we're walking, we get up around this bend and I look over and there's a a grizzly bedded down in the tall grass. And it's quite a ways away, but I saw it and I pointed out to the guide like, Hey, just a heads up. There's one right up here on the right. And he's like, all right, Hey, we'll, we'll actually go off trail and kind of go closer to it. And we're all freaking out. Like, are you sure this is cool? Like, I don't think you're just supposed to approach a sleeping grizzly. And he's, he's not too worried at all. I mean, doesn't even like his bear spray was close, but it wasn't just like pull it out and, and spray it if you have to. I mean, it would have taken a second but he's like, man, I do this twice a day, every day, see the same bears, see the bears with the cubs, know their behavior, know their attitudes, and, like, we're good. So we walk up over this knob. He's like, we're just going to peek up over it at first because we don't want all six of us to, like, bust over the top of this 40 yards from a female because he's like, this is a female that has three cubs, and they're this year's uh, cubs. And so... Anyways, we pop up over the top. We watch her. She's just completely passed out. The three cubs are going in between being passed out and getting up and wrestling with each other. And as we're looking at them, we look over and there's two black-tailed deer bucks that are not far from her downwind. And they kept picking their head up to look at her, but they just kept eating. And I'm thinking, man, these these deer are tiny, first of all, but they're in grizzly country. And even with the scent of her laying right there, blowing right to them. They just don't seem that worried. And so we talked a lot about that, talked about the grizzlies there versus um, like more of the interior grizzlies. He's like, listen, these bears here, odds are they're not going to mess with you. They want food, but they're not like coming in looking for trouble. He's like some, some spots in Alaska, those bears will straight up rip you from your tent. Like they will come in, tear you right out of your tent and drag you off. And I'm just like, dude, this is gnarly. Um, so we, we continue on from there. We get down to where all the bears kind of congregate and pick the fish up before they, before they start their swim up the fish weir. And as soon as we get down there, there's bears all over the place. I mean, several bears, some that have some females that have, um, like two-year-old cubs, some that have three-year-old cubs, some that have one-year-old cubs. One of the one of the females, they said they've been watching for 25 years, and another one, they said they've been watching for 30 years. And these things are like in our lap. I'm talking inside of 50, 50 yards at times. Um, and some of them are just hanging out right below the falls. Some of them are climbing around on the on the 
wall slash like walk bridge that goes over the creek or the river. Um, yeah, just picking up fish. It's like they're they're perfectly made for catching fish, and they did a lot of things that I didn't realize they did, like dunk their head fully underwater, and they would walk around looking underwater at these fish, and you'd see the the dorsal fins of the fish just above the water, and then all of a sudden the grizzlies would just take off sprinting, catch a fish, like dig their claws into it, rip it in half, eat the whole front half of the fish seemingly in one bite and then they'd grab the other part eat that and then they'd go right back to fishing but the females that had cubs it was also very interesting to watch that uh how that all plays out so what we noticed is that all of the cubs would be very lazy hang out on the bank and as soon as their their mom would catch a fish they'd be in the water run over steal the fish from her and then go and eat it, and she'd go back to fishing, and they would keep on doing it. And I kept thinking, man, these cubs are going to get full. They're not going to eat anymore. No, the whole time we were there, they were sitting there stealing from their moms every fish that was caught. And you could tell, like, the frustration on the mom's part because they would just come and, like, pester her over and over and over and over until they just gave the fish up. So we're sitting there for a while, probably, like, 20 yards from the river edge. So, I mean... I think at that point we had had some bears within like 25 yards of us because they'd come almost right up to the bank. And all of a sudden we hear one of the the couple that flew in the plane with us. They were like, oh my gosh, right here. And we look over and at like 13 feet, this mama grizzly and three cubs strolls right past us. And I'm like, dude, this could go sideways in a hurry. And the guide just never even flinched. He's like, oh, yep, that's the mom that we saw earlier. And they walked down the same path. I mean, to the point where, like, you could smell. You could smell her. We were that close. And she just walks down, starts fishing. The cubs hung out right in front of us at, like, inside of 15 yards for an hour and a half just playing and wrestling and biting any little piece of grass that moved and their mom, they were the youngest cubs out there. Their mom would actually catch fish and then bring them over, and then they would eat them. She'd go back and fish. And it was kind of cool to see the interaction between the cubs because some of them would go, and they're climbing around on the fish weir, and the the one that was left behind was sitting there eating, and then all of a sudden it pops up, and it loses its mind. I mean, it can't find its siblings anywhere. It's sprinting back and forth, making all these noises, trying to find the other two cubs, and then finally it sees them, and it sprints all the way over to them. They start playing with each other like, like they hadn't seen each other in years type of deal. And so all of that was an amazing experience. Probably my favorite day in Kodiak, getting to actually fly around, see the different landscape of Kodiak, see all the remote lakes and rivers, spots that you could just go get lost for weeks and months if you wanted to. And then to top all of that off, we were talking to the float plane pilot, who is our who is our bear viewing guide, and he told us that there are remote backcountry cabins that don't have any running water or power that you can rent. And it's very, very, very cheap to, <clears throat> excuse me, to rent them. And you can get flown out. He's like, the most expensive thing is the float plane. But like, I fly out every day. You can hop on the plane, fly out there. I'll drop you off. And then I'll come pick you up, you know, if you 
rent it out for five days or six days or 10 days or whatever. And a lot of people will go out there and they'll actually do remote hunts for different species or they'll go on um, fly fishing trips for salmon out on these rivers and they just stay in this remote cabin. And he's like, they have bear boxes. Like you have to be mindful. You don't just open the door and walk out. Like you have to make sure there's no grizzlies out there. But in that part, that specific lake that we landed on, I think there were two cabins and he's like, luckily the bears around here, you don't get a lot of big mature uh, males because the males just don't care for the human presence there, which is why the mortality rate on, on cubs, like they, they just don't die off as much because they're not getting preyed on or killed by the adult males. The adult males don't like being there, which actually makes the females and the cubs want to be there even more. And so it's pretty safe as far as bear encounters go here. And you still just have to keep your stuff locked up. So as we were, as we got back to the plane to leave, another pilot had landed and he came over and he was talking to our pilot. And he's like, yeah, when I got here, I had to scare some bears off. They were trying to mess with your plane. We ended up going into the plane um, sitting down, he had lunch for us. So we had sandwiches and cookies and fruit and a drink. And we sat in this float plane staring forward at this beautiful lake in the middle of nowhere, Kodiak, Alaska, and just got to, I don't know. It was one of the most enjoyable meals I've ever had. The quality of meal was good, not great, but just like the surroundings, what we were experiencing, it was unbelievable. So we fly fly back. We we flew kind of a roundabout way to get back. Saw a lot more of Kodiak, um, Kodiak Island. Saw other planes. Hearing them communicating with us, us communicating with them over the headsets was cool. We were looking for orcas or killer whales the whole time because he said he sees them every now and then in some of the bays that we flew over. Unfortunately, we didn't see those. I was really really hoping to see some killer whales this year. That was like one of my top goals for Kodiak. So we get back. Um, we go salmon, salmon berry and blueberry picking the next day, just pick tons and tons of them. And then we had a black tail deer hunt. And so we went, um, Jonathan got his license. We got all squared away, got ready to go packed up park the car, start hiking up the mountain. And as we're hiking up the mountain, it's just like terrible weather right out of the gate. And I'm like, man, luckily we have our rain gear. We stopped a bunch of times, glassed around, looked, didn't see any, we didn't see any bears out there. Um, but the wind started picking up and the weather started getting so bad. I mean, it was probably blowing like 70 miles an hour as we were about to, as we were about to summit on this mountain. And I got some cool video of that. We get up to the top and I'm like, there's a post that you can go up and you can see the elevation and it says the mountain name and all this different stuff. And as we're walking up, I'm like leading the group and I pop up and right at the summit, there's like a dozen ptarmigan just hanging out. And so I like wave the other guys up. They go up and check it out. The rain was brutal. We decided to, to head back. We'd come back the next couple days and see what was going on. And, uh, we get back down, the The weather kind of cleared up a little bit, not a ton, um, but we get down and go to lunch, and when we did, um, the guys that I went with, they got a call, uh, some family emergency stuff, and so we actually had to head to the airport, 
change our flights to the next day and we came back home. So the trip got cut short, but it was a trip of a lifetime. I mean, either way, it was amazing. No issues with our flights on the way home. Everything was good traveling back and yeah, just an awesome trip. So man, that took up a big chunk of time, but I'm glad you guys got to hear kind of how it went. I think we probably flew back with 200 pounds of fish. I mean, between all of those species I mentioned earlier, halibut, rockfish, salmon, like four different types of salmon, lingcod, yellow eye. What am I missing? I think that's the bulk of what we brought back. Anyways, had tons of fresh, fresh fish for a long time. Um, didn't end up with a black-tailed deer, but had a lot of cool stories, a lot of cool pictures and videos to show for it. And then after that trip, uh, I started getting ready for... Let's see. I think right after that would have been Wisconsin. So I went up to Wisconsin with the guys from Buck Gardner, got to go and hunt with my cousin Sam and his whole crew, the new outdoors, NEW, it stands for Northeast Wisconsin Outdoors. And they find birds like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they get on birds all the time. They've got tons of access to to private farms that they can go hunt and they do so much scouting to find the birds. But anyways, had a great group of guys from Buck Gardner, a videographer and a photographer come out, and we we got on the X. I mean, we were hunting this little pocket hole that was flooded in the middle of a probably 400-acre cornfield, and the birds wanted in there so bad. I mean, we were getting wet before the hunt started that morning, like 15 minutes before we started having big groups of birds bomb into the water, and then they'd pick up to leave right away. And they would fly over, and I mean, they were so close in our face, and there were so many that we were getting, like, rained on from the water dropping off of these birds after they took off from the pond. And so, had two days of hunting there, and it was phenomenal. We we all had a good time. Lots of shooting, lots of stories, lots of laughs, and messing with each other. And I'm hoping that it's a trip that we can take, whether it's back to the same spot or exploring new parts of the country, new types of waterfowl to hunt. Um, I think going every year with the guys from Buck Gardner is going to be a staple in my year and something that I, I plan and look forward to all the time. After that, we went out to Colorado. I think that was the next big trip. Well, actually, in between there, um, I had bow season start, had an awesome first hunt, went out. Uh, it was the second day. I actually didn't make it out for opening day because we had – um, some family stuff going on. And so I went out the second day, shot a doe. It was, it was interesting. Um, I shot it. It was really, really close, but a very downward angle shot on this deer and ended up not putting the shot where I wanted, where I had hoped. Don't know exactly how it all played out that way, but it just didn't. And so I had to track this deer, ended up jumping it. And luckily the spot that I jumped it, I was like, all right, I'm at least going to get out to the field edge and see where it goes so that we've got an idea where to pick up later. Cause at that point I figured we'd end up backing out. But once we saw it out in the bean field, I mean, the beans were like waist higher, higher. And I walked after this deer and I'm like, man, I saw it go down. It was right in here. And I had my bow and I'm telling my buddy drew, I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm going to watch ahead or I'm going to, I'm going to keep looking down at this like plowed trail through the beans and the blood. Cause it was kind of getting 
harder to harder to make out and um I was like you look ahead and let me know if it jumps up and as I'm saying that I almost step on this deer I mean the beans were so thick I couldn't see my feet and I almost step on this deer it jumps up scares the crap out of me runs about 15 20 yards maybe and then drops again and so at that point I knew right where it was walked over got another arrow in it and it maybe went 10 yards and died definitely not ideal definitely not how I would like a hunt to go I mean I never want to have to put a second shot in an animal. I would hope that my first shot was the best. Um, but there were a, a couple different judgment calls that I should have, um, should have been red flags and I shouldn't have taken that initial shot on the deer. It was a tight window. I felt very confident. I shoot all the time, but looking back, that's something I'm going to do differently from now on. If there is any hesitation with the shot, I'm just not going to take it. It's not worth it. it. The animal doesn't deserve that. Um, I certainly don't want to go through the turmoil of trailing a deer that I think should be dead and not finding it for, I mean, quite a while. It probably was an hour and a half long process to actually end up seeing this deer. And then it was pretty quick after that. Um, yeah, knowing when to stop, take a break, back out, all of that. Just lots of things that, that didn't go the way that I was hoping they would on that hunt. Now from there, uh, I did not have many encounters with deer at all. I mean, I saw plenty of deer, but nothing close, nothing big for a long time. And then it was months later when I was sitting out there, Drew was sitting in a different stand, and I I think it was right at shooting light. Um, the, the day was ending. So I turned to start packing up my stuff. I didn't have any deer out in the field in front of me. I was like, all right, sweet. I can get down without disturbing anything, without getting busted, without pushing deer out. And I turn around, grab my camera arm, grab my camera, packed it up, put it in my backpack. And as I'm doing that, I hear the crunches of a big deer. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And it's walking right towards me, right behind my stand in the woods. And it gets to... I think that first time it got to about eight yards, maybe it was 12, I don't remember, and turns broadside, and I can't make everything out on it, but I can see the rack, and I know exactly what bucket was, and I didn't even pick my bow up. It was two minutes after shooting light had ended for the day, but I was like, listen, if, if I can't do it right, it's not worth doing, and I'm not one to bend or break the rules when it comes to hunting, like... There are certain things here and there, you know, I might go a little faster than I should in a car, but I would, I wouldn't know what to do if I made a poor judgment call in any type of like bending or breaking the rules with hunting, getting busted, losing my license. Like I am so passionate about this sport and I want to do it right. Always. If I, if I have to lie about the story it's not a story worth telling, you know, like if I have to, if I have to change some of the details, like, Oh yeah, I shot this five minutes before legal light. Well, no, if I had, if I had decided to grab my bow and pull it, pull it back and, uh, hit my thumb release, shoot that deer, I would literally have to lie about it for the rest of my life or tell the story how it was. And everybody would know that I did it illegally. And so that stuff like that just isn't worth it to me. And I would encourage everybody else. I mean, like play by the rules, do it the right way, like prove that you can 
And um, I think it'll be a lot more rewarding. So anyways, that was the only encounter that I had all season long with one of my target bucks. Now, I will say I've got a couple days left. Today was a cold front. We just got our first decent snow. And by decent snow, I mean like an inch and a half maybe. Um, But temperatures dropped. My buddy just went out today uh, duck hunting again. And they got like a dozen green wing teal drakes, which is crazy for here right now. So anyways, lots of of weather-related stuff that is in my favor currently. But yeah. All throughout season, it was just tough. Now, I will say, normally I hunt the rut super hard. Normally I hunt every day of rifle season super hard here. And this year I wasn't able to. So moving on from early archery season, um, we get into deer season or uh, elk season out in Colorado. Now, I had a mule deer tag. I also bought a bear tag. I did not get an elk tag because I was taking some friends out to elk hunt in Colorado that had never gone. And I just thought, okay, it's going to be tough to shoot four elk. It's going to be even tougher to shoot five. So I didn't buy a tag. We get out there and it seemed like very, it seemed very promising. It seemed, it seemed like something that we could definitely do. We could get one or two down probably um, because we showed up two days before season started and we already got onto animals. I mean, we saw a giant bull and a couple legal bulls and a bunch of cows right away. But then we went through a dry spell, hardly saw anything. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I saw an elk on the hoof for like five days. The only two that I saw other hunters had already killed. And yeah, it just turned out to be kind of a bust. I saw a lot of mule deer, a lot of big mule deer really close that I could have shot if I was in the right unit, but my license was for the unit over from where we were hunting. So wasn't able to do that. Never saw any bears, never saw a ton of bear sign. I think we did see a little bit maybe, but it was just tough. Saw a lot of sheds and all of this to say that elk trip fell during the first week of the whitetail rut here in Missouri. I mean like the peak of the whitetail rut. I shouldn't say the first week because, you know, you've got pre-rut, you've got some early rutting activity, but this was like November, the first week of November. And so missed a good chunk of that. And I wasn't even able to hunt there the full time. I had to fly out early, go meet my wife and fly to New York city for, um, her transfer. So my wife's a surrogate. I don't know how much I've talked about that on the show or if I've talked about it at all. She's having a baby for another couple, um, something that the Lord laid on her heart years ago. And so because of that, we had a transfer appointment in New York City um, part of that first week or maybe it was the start of the second week in in November. So had to fly out, missed the whole whitetail rut, basically like the core time frame of the whitetail rut in Missouri. And then had to had to bounce on some of my elk hunt and mule deer hunt and bear hunt in Colorado. So get back. And then it wasn't very long after that. I'm trying to think what happened. Oh, no. You know what? So I get back, miss most of that week. We were supposed to go to New York right away, but I forgot that it got delayed just a little bit. And so it got bumped back a hair. We ended up going later on. 
but we ended up going over the firearm season here in Missouri. And so I think I did get to hunt like maybe two days on the tail end of the core uh, time window of the whitetail rut here. And then the, uh, then we actually had to go to New York city during the rifle season. So I only got to hunt one day for rifle here in Missouri for whitetail. And then from there we went up to Wisconsin Ended up having an awesome hunt up there. Got to take my nephew out for the second time. He got to see his first deer be, uh, get shot. Found out that he was actually eligible for a tag. I didn't realize they did an apprentice license in Wisconsin. And so he got to hunt for his first time. Unfortunately, we didn't get him one. But I ended up walking away with a buck and a doe. That was a ton of fun. Um, and then that kind of leads us into waterfowl season which is what we're in right now i'm going to be doing some coyote hunting here i'm going to finish up my whitetail season here over the next week week and a half and hopefully finally connect with one of the big bucks i know it's normally after the whitetail rut and after a ton of the hunting pressure is there that the bucks start getting back into bachelor groups showing back up on the main property that i hunt and so hopefully i can catch one slipping up um and i might try to go walk around like I don't typically do that with my bow. Normally I stay put, but with the fresh snow, I think it would be cool to use some of those Northeast techniques of actually like walking a deer down, just going super slow and seeing what you can, what you can creep up on. Um, obviously I'm not going to do that unless I find some big tracks or if I find big tracks going in the woods, but not back out, I will probably sit and wait to see, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really torn now. It's coming down to the wire. So maybe I do. Maybe I push in. If I know it's in there, it might be worth the risk. I snuck up on one deer already this year with my bow through the woods. Um, could have could have shot it, but well, I had a shot, but it wasn't a a good ethical shot, so I didn't take it. But um, kind of a cool encounter nonetheless. So. All that to say, I mean, that's been my season so far. The podcast has been awesome. I really do appreciate all of you guys supporting. Um, this This next season is going to be even better. But just so that you guys know, I mean, I went from like 90 total listens to almost 16,000 over the course of like a weekend. I I went from maybe one or 200 listens per episode to almost 1,000 overnight from a video and from all the support and the response from that video. So a lot of cool things have happened in the podcast world and there's a lot more coming up. I talked a little bit about joining sportsman's nation. That's going to be coming down the line here in the next couple of weeks. So probably by the end of January, all of my episodes will be funneled through sportsman's nation podcast network. And there's a lot of things in the talk with me and Dan Johnson. So hopefully Hopefully there's a lot of good updates, a lot of cool stuff to report here in the future, and I'm looking forward to it. But honestly, it none of it would have been possible without you guys, the listeners, the support. Hopefully I've got some t-shirts and sweatshirts and uh, another round of stickers coming out soon, different stickers. Um, just I'm hopeful and I'm thankful and grateful for all of you guys. I hope that you guys have had success and sorry, I just like talked and talked and talked there. If you've listened to all my other episodes, you've heard most of this stuff, but 
That was a very quick recap of my 2021 season. Now, a couple things that I didn't do that I was really hoping to. I wanted to hunt public land a lot more for whitetail this year. Obviously, the whole schedule and the whole season kind of got thrown off in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. And so I blame blame it on that partly, but also the time that I did have, I was like, man, I don't want to waste my time going someplace I haven't been yet trying to figure it out. And I was hoping to saddle hunt this year, which I did not get a saddle system. And I definitely regret that. I wanted to be more mobile. I wanted to be able to go find a tree, get up in it, hunt it hard, figure out where the deer were on a public chunk of land or on a new private chunk of land, and then not have to go through the whole, like setting up a tree stand, this and that, but to walk in, climb the tree, sit. And I hear all the time people talk about the first sit and the tree's the best. The first is the best. Well, I don't even know what number sit this is in my tree stands out on that property because they're, they're not permanent stands. We take them down every year, but they've been up for a long time. And so, uh, luckily I haven't been busted out of most of them. I did get busted one time this year while I was hunting with Drew. And I think we talked about that story or I talked about that story on one of the episodes, but yeah, those are a couple things that I definitely regret. I was hoping to do, I was hoping to be more mobile, get a saddle set up, get familiar with it and get out in the woods and actually put it into practice or put everything from practice into use in a real world hunting situation. And then I was also hoping to go out, find more property to hunt both private and public, and then hunt and push myself and, and force myself to learn instead of just doing what I'm comfortable with. So I'm going to do another episode here uh, in the next couple days of my new year's resolutions, what I'm hoping for, for 2022, I'm working on a schedule and a calendar of what hunts I'm planning on doing And so hopefully I can fill you guys in and you can be looking forward to content coming out, pictures and stories coming from those future hunts. But man, thank you guys for listening. I, I always appreciate it. And I'm hoping to get more of you guys on the podcast. I had, I think I ended the year with like 70 uh, episodes. Most of those are people that I met through social media and that reached out and they were like, Hey man, I love talking about this. Let's, Let's sit down and have a conversation. And so I'm hoping to do so much more of that in the future. And I've got a lot of cool stuff with regards to an additional podcast and how that's going to play out. So lots of cool stuff for 2022. And I think, yeah, I'm excited to put a couple of these things into practice as well as meet more of you, talk to more of you, and hopefully even do like a mini, a mini rendezvous. And I'll let you guys know where I'm going to be when I'm going to be there. And hopefully we can get a lot of listeners and podcast guests to meet up and maybe have like a fish fry or a frog leg fry or something. Anyways, lots of cool things. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. This is going to be a good year. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing a quick recap of my 2021 season. Hopefully 2022 holds a lot more opportunities and close encounters with animals. But I'm super pumped about a couple things, right? One is that I'm joining the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. That is a dream that I didn't think I would get to see fulfilled anytime soon. But I'm super pumped and excited and looking forward to seeing where that journey takes me. As well, I'm going to have new merch coming out in 2022, actually hopefully like next month. 
I've got some people working on designs for me for t-shirts, for more stickers, and hopefully I can come out with a whole line of things. You guys have been so supportive anytime I come out with something new or ask for your help or favors in doing something. So I really, really, really appreciate all of that. And hopefully you guys are having fun wrapping up your whitetail seasons wherever you are or chasing after birds. I know a lot of the country got a good cold front that came through like over this past two, three days. And I know that birds are going to be pushing down from the north. So no matter what it is that you're chasing after, good luck out there. Always choose adventure and God bless.